This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. For some architects, being on the job site is a vital part of their work process, while for others, they see job site visits as a series of obligations fraught with increased liability. Personally love going on job sites and everything that possibly means. That's what we're talking about today. Welcome to episode 71, Architects on the Job Site. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to talk about job sites, as much as that means within a 45-minute window. (laughs) I asked everyone in my office, well, I didn't ask everybody. I asked a lot of people in my office today. Okay, that's not true either. I asked two people in my... (laughs) (laughs) A handful. Wait, no, a couple of fingers. Yeah, okay. I asked two people and they sit next to me. So, But they're young and they're inexperienced. And I told them that we were going to be recording the podcast tonight. And I said, I got like six things I've already written down. Roman numeral one, Roman numeral two. Like they're here, these giant silos of things that we're going to talk about. But before I tell you what those are, what would you like to hear? Like what would be the things? Yeah, yeah. They get ready access to me all the time. So they don't realize like what a treat (laughs) that is. What a treasure, (laughs) treasure trove that actually is. Yes. uh I'm just like the font of wisdom that I'm willing to dole out to them. (sighs) They're so lucky and they don't even know it. They know, they know it. They know it. So, so I asked them, I said, what are you interested in when we're talking about job sites? And it was funny, like the first five or six questions they asked were all things I go, those aren't the right kind of questions. Those are the kind of questions of someone who's never been on the job site before, right? The things that I wouldn't spend two seconds thinking about anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't tell him, hey, that's a stupid question, because it wasn't a stupid question. It was just... It was an inexperienced question. It was inexperienced. It made me think, maybe I need to change the silos of what I'm talking about. So we're going to hit on a couple of, like, you've been an architect for a while. You can probably commiserate with some of the things that we're going to talk about. I want to leave that in there, because there's a lot of people that listen to the show that fall into those categories. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's also a lot of young people that listen to the show. Well, I know that there are. And they're still in school, they're freshly minted out of school, and they haven't been on a job site yet, or they haven't been on many, and so there's the let's tell some war stories, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, sounds like a plan. So the first silo I thought we'd just start with, start off the show with a little lightness, was personal history of going out to job sites. And I'll start with like super recent history. I went to a job site today. Nice. Which is a little unusual because since I've come over to Boca Pal, you know, like 20% of our workforce is dedicated construction administration. Mm-hmm. That's like what they do. That's their job is to go to job sites. And as I've become increasingly busy to the point where it's madness at this point, <laughs> if I can get out of going to a job site, like if I don't have to go, I don't go. I don't go anymore. Yeah. And as much as I love it, I love it. But there's a difference. And we're going to save this bit for later because. There's a big difference between going on job sites when it's a residential project versus when it's commercial. Like commercial job sites actually feels like work to me. As much I still love it, but it's definitely there's rules and protocol and like do's and don'ts and there's paperwork and agendas and forms you fill out and I can tell you the number of times that I wrote what the weather conditions were on a residential job site visit zero times in my life. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> you know, and yeah. every single time anybody ever goes out on a commercial job you, that's what you're doing. Yeah, right? that's documented for sure. So I went out today, as a matter of fact, but 
to be honest, I forgot that I had to do it. So I just dress for coming up to work. And uh, I, I'll dress code has kind of slipped a little bit since <laughs> in the <laughs> pandemic era. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. So I wear pants, not slacks. Flip flops. Right? <laughs> I, I'm wearing, I mean, they really could be called almost like boat shoes. Oh, yeah. Like deck shoes of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. canvas with rubber bottoms. There's no laces or anything. I'm wearing thin socks because they're kind of cool. They're like pattern. Uh -huh. They're very like like happy feet socks, whatever kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I got up to work this morning. I was here before seven o'clock and I'm just grinding away. And I look at my calendar, right? And it pings, ping. You got a meeting at 15 minutes, ping. And so I go, man, I should just look ahead. Just look ahead a little bit. And I saw that I had to go out to a job site meeting, a walkthrough today at 1.30. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I am wearing like literally the most inappropriate shoes ever. Yeah, super slack, right? Super cash. Yeah. But luckily for me, while this is still a commercial project, it's an entire renovation of a historic house that's being converted from a salon into a lawyer's office. So <laughs> okay. it's like being in a residential project. Yeah. And the guy that we tapped doing it is a contractor that I've worked with several times over my career. So I walk in, it's just like being on a residential job site and I got there early. Guess that's my MO. Go early. Then you get done, get done out. I'm gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And despite my predilections to goof off when I'm on job sites, man, I'm like, stop farting around. Let's get this done. I am a hundred percent business. And so I get there and I mean, I walk the whole project. I do everything that needs to be done. I take the photos like before the meetings even supposed to be started. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Three other people from my office, they joined. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. Let me just walk you through everything. They all show up being the good commercial architects that they are. They've got protective eyewear on. They're all wearing hard hats. <laughs> They've got yellow vests oh, that man. zipper up. Yeah, yeah. They're 100%. PPE, yeah. And I am, <laughs> I am not wearing any gear at all. And so one of the guys, he's the senior QA, QC guy in the office. He pulls me aside. He goes, uh, do you have a hard hat? And I was like, no, <laughs> like I don't, I don't own a hard hat. I had one at my last office, but I left it there cause it had like, you know, firm name on it. And so I was just thinking this would be a good thing to talk about because one of the questions that one of the younger people asked about, they're like, what are the do's and don'ts? So that's another silo we're going to get into, but let's start after I've told that little anecdote about my bad shoes today. Yeah. Personal history. So what's your personal history? Like, when did you start? How out of school were you when you started? Less than a year, probably. I think this goes to our conversation that happens a little bit later, but probably within the first year I was on job sites, not by myself, but with my boss going over things, you know, having him kind of show me around and do things like that. So pretty soon out of school, I was on job sites. And so in what capacity? Like how often? I know you went to job sites, say like take three years ago, you would be in the car, driving for hours and hours and hours. You'd go to a job site. You'd yeah. do an hour and a half kind of thing. You'd get back in the car and drive for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. So when it was you and your boss, walk me through what that, you park the car and what happens. This is when I was younger, right? I would park the car and get out and he'd go find the job site superintendent. Again, because this is all commercial work, right? not residential work, but go find the job site superintendent and then walk around and walk with the job site superintendent, go over progress, look at any issues that might be presenting themselves or possibly forthcoming, talk about what's happening in the future. You know, most of the time the meetings were pretty structured and those would be once a month usually 
a job site meeting that involves a lot of people, OAC meetings? Hey, just for the record, OAC, owner, architect, contractor. Those on most of my projects is once a month, but if the timing worked out, then you'd go in between those times if needed. A lot of that depends on how far away the project was, to be honest, on some things, or what stage of construction. I mean, there's a lot of different factors into how often you go. Yeah, get out, find the person in charge of the job site. Typically, we'd walk the project with them. So do you think that before I tell you my version of that, which is a lot different, really? Well, let me ask this question first. Mm -hmm. Since your projects were typically far away, but I imagine not all of them were, did you ever just show up at the job site? Yes. When I was younger, I didn't. But when I was in charge of everything, of course, yes, I would show up unannounced quite regularly. Yeah. Especially for projects that are in town, I would just go to see what was happening to make sure stuff was happening. And, you know, in between and 90% of those times, I wouldn't give anybody a heads up because I actually like to go when I'm not expected just to see how things are going and how the project is being run actually when it's not known that there's going to be some scrutiny happening. Right. When they're not prepping for you. Exactly. So when you show up at the job site, did you bring stuff with you? What'd you do? Or did you just roll up and get out and the contractor is expected to have everything laid out buffet style before you? Like if you needed hard hat or PPE or drawings, do you have your own forms? Oh, no, no. I, I carry all that stuff on my own. So I would carry, and depending upon what it was, but I'd have a hard hat and definitely the proper shoe attire, steel-toed shoes. I mean, typically I just left those in my car for any time I wanted to do visits. And then it's a set of drawings, like a half-size set of drawings, and then any sort of forms that I had, if they were paper or on my iPad, I'd have it open to fill out paperwork as I was going through the job site. And then a lot of times I'd make voice recordings as well while I was walking through just to keep notes. Yeah. And also take as many pictures as possible or as needed. Yeah. Depends on if there was issues or if I was just kind of checking in on things. Because most of the time I have to provide a report. And so I'm working through all of that as well. And then sometimes I'd walk through the project. I mean, like you, if I got there early, I'd walk through on my own before I went and found the job site superintendent, or I would stick around afterwards and walk through without them so that I could look at the things that I wanted to look at more specifically or take photographs of things and do that kind of stuff. So sure, sure. There was always a portion of the meeting or the visit where I'm, I'm on my own so that everybody's out of my way. I was like, so what about you? Because I'm, I'm assuming your first stuff was residential, your first experiences. So let me, in contrast, right when I got out of school, we did retail work and it was all over the country. And the boss I had at the time, he did the vast majority of site visits, but we didn't really, you know, it's kind of funny, retail work, at least where we did it, they were like the best contractors you ever worked with in your life. Because mm. it'd be like, hey, here's a million dollar store you're going to build out. It's 3000 square feet. And they're like, it'll be done in five weeks. And they, yeah. and they don't make mistakes. And Yeah, they just knocked it out because they were getting paid well and they knew what they were doing. Yeah, and everybody, like, there's no farting around. There's no, like, you don't have to come and say, hey, man, that outlet's not centered, right? Like, they just did it, yeah. you know? That must be nice. <laughs> you know, I used to tell people, like, oh, I felt like I was a bad architect because I never had to deal with problems. Like, I was never tempered in the mm-hmm. forges of conflict on the job site because (laughs) it just never really happened. And so, and I don't know if it actually sent the temperament for how I am with contractors now, because I get along with all contractors. Rarely do I get crosswise with them because my relationship and what is my default is it's very collaborative. We get together, we both have our lanes, 
but we both had the same goals. So I've always viewed as we're on the same side of the table. And it just kind of sent the behavior or how you acted on a job site from the very get-go. Yeah. But if, if I look at it when I was, say when I started residential, if I talk about my experience on residential job sites, because that's kind of the compare and contrast that we're in right now, drastically different. Because projects, the way they were kind of laid out, they're either here locally or they were remote, but the homeowners were remote from the house as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, they were like second homes or... That's right. Yeah, I gotcha. So there would be different behavior because when it's in town, the homeowner, they go by the job site like every day. Mm -hmm. Every day, they're walking the job site. And so you're constantly getting text messages or calls or whatever and go, what's this? What's this? What's this? I saw that. What's that? I don't know what that is. That's wrong. That can't be right. Is that what we decided to do? It's just like... This is not how I thought it was going to be in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just, yeah, there's a wall here. And you're like, yes. (laughs) And so... I would frequently, and I never charge for this because it's what I like to do. I mean, I loved going on the job sites. I still do. And since I go to work early, I would go by the job site like at 6.45, 7 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's kind of showing up. I could walk the entire job site by myself. Superintendent saw me five times a week at least. So he's just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to be escorted around the job site. And since I was writing the blog for a part of it, I was just taking pictures. I'd take 100 pictures every time I got on the job site, not knowing that I might talk about the fireplace at some point. And it'd be nice to have like a history of the evolution of how this thing was built over this period of time. So I would just document everything. But I never had forms, right? I didn't ever have like an agenda. I mean, we would occasionally have OAC meetings, Mm -hmm. but not very often, to be honest with you. They wouldn't be structured. It's like I would meet with the owner. Or the owner would swing by the job site and they would bump into the contractor and they'd have a conversation or they would relay something to me and then I would talk to the contractor when I was, it was very, very disorganized and just kind of, this is just what it is Mm -hmm. because the conversations were nonstop, right? (laughs) Like they never ended. It's kind of like you constantly had, you know, like the game telephone, you had a cup with a string. We all have cups and strings constantly pulled taut between our ears. So at any moment we can say, are you there? I have a question. And you're like, yes, I'm here. Yeah. What's your question? And so it was very informal. There was no charts. There were no documents. There were no forms. This is what I see. I was present. These are the subs that were present on the, mm-hmm. you know, the site today when I was there. Yep, yep. It's just not what it was. Yeah. And I did normally keep a second pair of shoes, you know, in the car, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But that practice didn't start because I wanted to wear steel-toed shoes because I was worried about stepping on a nail. It's because I don't want to get my shoes muddy. Yeah, yeah, get your stuff all dirty. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a similar thing too, right? Yeah, it was a dirty pair of shoes. I will confess that once in my career, I did a job site visit, and I didn't have proper shoes. I didn't have a choice, and I was wearing like nice shoes. Like I had to do something. So luckily, I had two plastic grocery store bags, <laughs> and I put them on my feet and I wrapped them around my leg. Oh my god, I got so much grief over doing that. But I was like, at least my shoes aren't destroyed. Yeah. I mean, well, they make those like things you can put over your shoes that are serve that purpose. But yes. And I don't mean like the paper ones, like they make like industrial strength ones. Yes. So my history was I went out to the job site constantly, all the time for like the last, I'd say the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. I was on job site at least two or three times every single week. Yeah. It was, it was constant. But since I've come commercial, I'm rarely, but I don't know if that's a COVID thing or not. 
you know, like a pandemic, everybody's like, yeah, it could be. Now we do OAC meetings over GoToMeeting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably some of it. Even though I was doing all commercial work, I mean, I had enough projects going that I was on a job site at least once a week, if not twice a week, just different job sites and things like that. So I think some of it has to do with the pandemic because I still have a few small municipal projects going and I would be out at least once or twice a month on those. Well, let's talk about who gets to go on job sites. Because I think there could be a difference between big firms versus small firms. So on one hand, the vast majority of my personal experience has been small firm. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the vast, like you've always worked, you know, your own office was never that big. So it's kind of, you were always a small firm too. But I can tell you in my office now, which we're a small, big firm or a big, small firm, however you want to describe it. You know, we're- Uh, You're a big firm. We're a hundred people. That's technically big. Yeah. We have people, that's all they do is they do CA. That's it. That is a position that is filled within the company. Yeah. And they still pull like the designers in, the interior designers in, the project architect. We all get dragged into the project at various Mm -hmm. points, various moments for sure. Mm -hmm. But like processing submittals and I mean, that kind of stuff. Shop drawings and all that sort of stuff. It runs through them, but they still forward it on to us because if I designed it, they're like, well, you need to tell me that this is what you wanted. Yeah. That was part of it. But I would say there are people that are in this office that have rarely been to a job site. Mm-hmm. Rarely. You know, if you're not CA, then that just kind of seems to be the MO. Occasionally, maybe you go out there for one reason or another, but it's not like how it was when I was younger. It's kind of too bad. Like they might do organized job site visits. Oh, uh-huh. That's something we would do in my last office. And because some of us were on job sites all the time and some of us weren't. Mm-hmm. So we'd say, hey, this Friday when we shut up at noon, we're going to go to this project and we're going to walk it and I'm going to point out what stuff is and, mm-hmm. and let you ask questions and tell you why things are done the way it is. Because one of the advantages of going to job sites, somebody who goes gets is seeing it in process. Knowing that the realities of like the perfection of their drawing environment doesn't align with the realities of the the real world. Yeah, of the built work for sure. You know, and I think that's one of the most important lessons. I think that is a bad thing about maybe larger firms is that it gets a little bit siloed and there's not that opportunity for every young person in the office to be able to go out and get on a job site because I think it's, we're going to get there, but I think it's really critical to have that happen. Yeah. The example I was given the two people slash everyone that I talked to, uh, (laughs) the the whole office office Uh that I talked to today was I had this moment. This has resonated with me for 15, 20 years. And it was the first time I ever saw a residential clean out and how it was like U shaped. It was like one pipe. All I'd ever seen in my life was like the two holes that daylight, you know, like in the front of the house or or from the house to wherever the the sewer line is. Mm Mm-hmm. There would be these two cleanouts. I was like, I didn't know why there were two. And I didn't understand, like, why are they placed the way they're placed until I saw someone actually putting one in the ground. And I looked at it and I was like, well, that's really, like, it's kind of U-shaped. It's one piece. And I was like, why is it shaped like that? And they're like, well, if I'm going to run a line down the pipe, if I go on this side, it's going to direct my pipe into the house. If I go on this hole, it's going to direct it towards the street. That's why it's bent the way that it is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, duh, that's so obvious. But I didn't know that. And I didn't know that's why are there always two? Like, I always thought, is it like a roof drain that one is the one you use all the time and one is there for emergency? Just emergencies, yeah. And then I was like, no, it just directs which way your auger might go. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, well, that's so painfully obvious. And once you see it, now you understand it. And I started to think about all the things that you see, headers, the way things are framed and California corners and how insulation goes into place and the sequencing of the work. And like, hey, when you build this column this close to the wall, how are they going to paint that column later? Like they can't get to it. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's not enough space back there for them to get any sort of finish behind it. Yeah. How do they fix it? So it's one of these things that I talk about with the designers I work with every day, all the time. So part of it is you got to think about how stuff is built. As a designer, it's not just enough for you to say, oh, it looks amazing. Here it is. It's cool. Did you think about how they were going to build it? How they service it? What's it lifespan? Like, how's it going to age? How's it going to weather? How's the guy in the field going to do whatever it is you're asking him to do? And the answer is almost always no. Right? They don't ever think of that. Yeah. I think they just got to go on the job site. I think that's the only way for them to be able to connect the idea of a design to its execution. And it may just be the way I evolved as an architect with not knowing how anything was built for so long that when I finally decided for me to be the type of architect I want to be, I need to understand how things get built. Till that moment happened, I just designed stuff and I was like, I'll figure it out later. Now, I can't design without thinking about how something is built. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that comes out of it is that knowledge of sequencing and seeing how things actually go together on a job site and the order of operations. And just because you can draw it and everything fits in there in the perfect layers and it's all lined up, that doesn't really mean that's how it goes together in the field. Yeah. You want to place this thing, but in reality, that subcontractor is long gone and he's not coming back because... He's finished with the job, yet the way you've got it set up in your drawings, that detail. Yeah. He's got to come do part of it and then wait for three other people to come and do something and then come back at the end and do something again. And it just, that's not how it works. Yeah. And you wonder why your project's over budget or why it's expensive. Yeah. You know, or why they get mad about things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, every now and then I, you know, I've told people all the time the most important person on any project is the superintendent. In theory, they should know my job better than I know my job. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, that's stupid. You designed it. Like back in the day when I designed it and drew it, when I did everything, they're like, why do you expect him to know it better? And I go, because I got 10 jobs. He's got one, <laughs> right? All he has to do is think about this one job every single day, all day long. That's like his job. Except for that's not true in commercial jobs, I, don't, I find. but Well, if you have a dedicated site superintendent, are they having them like, you know, shuffle some submittals for another project while they're just sitting on site or something? Yeah, I guess they're not dedicated. Maybe that would be the thing. Yeah. So there's a site superintendent, but they're working on, you know, multiple jobs sometimes. And so they're not always there every day. See, all right. I just learned something. In my mind, on commercial jobs, you have a dedicated superintendent because these are big projects. They're expensive. Mm. You got the money to pay for someone to be there. Because like on my residential job, rarely do we not have a dedicated site superintendent. It's something that I'll talk to the owners and I'll go, look, the best money that you're going to spend is to say, I don't want this guy showing up, kicking five trades off and then going to the next project and not coming back till this afternoon. Cause that means that guy is going to spend four hours screwing something up, thinking he's doing it right or not thinking something through. Cause everyone just looks at their toes, all these trades. They just like worry about their business. Mm-hmm. His job is to worry about everybody's business and sequencing and thinking it through. That's his job. So if you're a homeowner and you're listening to this, dedicated site superintendent, best money you'll ever spend. Yeah. But again, I'd say maybe on only maybe 50% of my commercial projects, there's actually a site superintendent that that's their only job. 
And I mean, that's all scales of commercial projects that I've done. Granted, I mean, if they get really large, maybe not. But I think that construction companies are fighting the same thing that we are, trying to get people to do more stuff and handle more work. But Yeah, interesting. So let's talk a little bit about how often do you go on a job site during projects? You had kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, it's like once a month. Is that typical or, I mean, I'm not asking because I don't know. I'm asking for your opinion before I give you my opinion. My opinion for commercial projects, typically there was a once a month OAC meeting and then I would go in between that once or twice. So I mean, at least every other week I would try to be on site for commercial projects. Again, that depends on certain things, phases of the work. In the beginning where they're just moving dirt around, I'm not going there very much because they're just dragging dirt around. Right. There's no need for me to look at that every other week. But at the end, also, when they're doing a lot of finished work, sometimes that's not just critical either. It just depends. For me, on most commercial projects that I was at, it was at least once every two weeks. And one of those would be on my own, and then one would definitely be an OAC scheduled meeting. Yeah, yeah. And that's typically how I worked for most projects. I think it's pretty typical. Yeah. So another thing, we didn't bake into our contracts like how many site visits we would come. Mm -hmm. It was just like, we're going to be there whenever we need to be there. Mm -hmm. And that was really easy to do when you charge the percentage, the cost of construction. And I would say my clients really lucked out because I like being on the job site so much that I would go two, three, four times a week. Mostly it's because I was like, ooh, they're going to be hanging this thing this afternoon. I want to check in on that. Or, ooh, they're going to move that tree later. I want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. And so I would try to go on my lunch break or go on my way home or go on my way to work. And there would be times that I might go buy a job more than once a day just because I was so interested in seeing what was going on and what was happening. Mm -hmm. From a structure standpoint, what I thought was interesting is you said this. It's a little different than how I would have thought about it. So in the beginning, we don't go out as often. Because the work is slower going when they're moving dirt and digging holes and pouring piers and stuff like that. There's just not a lot to see. Mm -hmm. But towards the end of the project, when we're doing like the finishes are going in, I found that I went more often when finishes, like when cabinets are going in, tiles going down, when wood flooring's going down. I mean, it seemed like I was there more often towards the end than I was in the beginning. And it was like parabolic was the rate. Yeah. One is... Length of time, one is frequency of trip, right? And the closer towards the end of the project, the more frequently I would be on the job site. Um, that was really, really common. Yeah, and I think that's the difference between residential and commercial in my mind. Yeah, for sure. On a commercial project, if I'm there once where they're in finishing out, let's say, for example, one classroom, well, the other 32 classrooms are kind of the same. Yes. If they can get one right, then my assumption is hopefully they can manage the other ones. And so it's not quite as critical as I think. And it's personal is everyone's house when they're like, oh, my God, this has got to be perfect. And, da, 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 da. you know, they're not as quite as involved, I think. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes I'm there because they want to have a glass of wine and walk the project like that. That happens. Not, that doesn't happen in commercial. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen in commercial. But it would happen like you'd show up. The number of times I stopped by a job site on my way home and I had clients in the house drinking <laughs> thousands. <laughs> like it's just. Because it's so much fun. It's so exciting. And they're starting to like, like there's this different phases. Like they start to imagine being in the house and yeah, like the couch is going to go right here. And you walk in and they're like doing the whole, uh, uh, and they're moving their arms, trying <laughs> yeah, to like yeah. sit. This is where the couch is. And, and they're like, oh, and look where you see that tree. And sometimes that moment is heightened because something that we've been talking about and they've seen in drawings, but they never really understood 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What it was going to be like. So it makes it the job site fun in a way that I think that sometimes commercial job sites aren't fun because commercial jobs more times than not are about everybody doing their job. Mm -hmm. And residential jobs are like half of us are doing our job and the other half of us are just going, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's a little bit different. I would definitely say the excitement level is probably a lot different. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you think that we kind of talked about certainly there's benefits of job site visits and the frequency at which such job site visits take place? Do you, and I know the answer to this question, but it's, I want to talk about it for people who don't go on job sites. Yeah. So when you're on the job site, just how far do you take your response? Like, do you take tape measures? And do you verify that, hey, this wall's not where it's supposed to be? I mean, there's a difference between just having the drawings and going, yeah, there's a wall right there and there, I see the wall. Great. Mm-hmm. As opposed to you like laying down some tape or take a laser measure and go, boop, this wall is one and a half inches too far to the north. <laughs> like, have you ever done that? No. I don't, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. You know, there's a point, right? Once the foundation's poured whoever's going to lay out all the walls, they kind of get things laid out and they talk about any issues and, you know, that might happen. And if there's dimensional discrepancies that come up, it might happen then. But I'm typically not going back to check those kinds of things. I will bring a digital level with me at times because I'm checking for ADA compliance and things like that, minimum slopes and all that sort of stuff. Without it being brought up that it might be in an inch and a half off or something, by the job site superintendent or somebody, I don't think I've ever verified. Oh, yeah, that wall is exactly 15 feet, three and a half inches yeah. from the other wall. I will say that I have checked things like cleanouts, pipe runs, things that penetrate the slab. I have checked those on occasion, but I don't think I've ever verified that walls are dimensionally exactly where they're supposed to be. Yeah. I've never done that. And that's not to say that they've always been in the exact right spot, but part of me goes, I don't want to own that. That's not my job. My job is not to be mm-hmm. that level of, that's me working for the contractor at that point. Like I already told him where the wall is supposed to be. It's his job to not only put it there, but to make sure he put it where it's supposed to be. I know that there's a, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that sort of level of responsibility or accountability it's a fine line, I think, for a lot of architects when you start talking about job site visits. Yeah, we are saving the liability side of this conversation. <laughs> for later. For the very end, so we can then end it with a silly would you rather, right? Yeah. That's the transition, but. I think the biggest benefit, as a young person, the biggest benefit of being out on a job site is understanding how construction works. I agree with you, right, that once you really start to understand it, you can't, well, you can design things that won't be constructible, but you work more with the idea of things being able to be constructed properly. And you realize that if you can work within that context, what you imagine in your head has a greater possibility of becoming reality. Sure. Yeah. If you know how the sequence of construction and how things go together and what the tolerances are on a job site and those kind of things, the more you are able to work within that. And hopefully the things that are in your head start to fit that mold and you can move forward. I made a point to bring young people in my office on job site visits with me all the time. I rarely went to a job site without someone. And I think that's really, that's one of the most important things. You got to see how things get constructed to realize that you can't draw things just in <laughs> whatever you want to call you know, in a vacuum. Yeah. In fantasy rabbit land. Exactly. Just because you can draw it and it works doesn't mean it works. <laughs> well, the easiest thing to show people on a job site 
versus the hardest thing to show people in Revit world is the idea of construction tolerance. Mm -hmm. Knowing that there's going to be a bust or this is going to be curved or like this won't be flat or level. And how do you design in such a way that, that you bake in where that bust takes place? You're giving the contractor an out. Mm -hmm. You're saying, I don't think this is going to be perfect, but where it's not going to be perfect, it's going to be right there. We've told you where it's not going to be perfect. Yeah, exactly. And I agree with you in the idea that there's great value in young developing architects going on job sites because, you know, in the back of my head as we're having this conversation, I don't think you can be a good designer without understanding how buildings get built. I fundamentally, at the very core of my being, I don't understand how if you just go, I'm just a designer and I'm just amazing. The realities of that manifest themselves. We actually talked about this on the show before. And it was like, I had sour grapes because we all designed a couple buildings. Yeah. And one of the ones that got chose, I was like, well, that's all a bunch of monkey business because he's got 400 foot cantilevers and he's got no roof access. And it's right on the edge of the building, which means there's going to be handrails and mm -hmm. like the reality of what will be built is not what this design is. Yes. But in design, it looked amazing, right? You're like, yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah. Give me that. Then my job as the senior designer on the project was to, okay, all right, well, we got to pull this in a little bit and we have to resolve this problem because I don't think you want guardrails around your low slope roof. For yeah. fall protection that you're going to see, which means we need to be at least 35. Like these are realities. These things exist. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know them or if you don't think about them or at the very worst, you won't consider them. I don't know how you could ever be good at your job of designing. Yeah. My quote for that is always, you got to know the rules in order to break the rules or you got to be able to know everything. If you're going to push the envelope with your designs, you got to know where those boundaries are. Yeah. You know where to push. Because, yeah, just because you want a 500-foot cantilever, yes, it probably can be done, but realistically, it, it, yeah, it's not going to work the way you think. Yeah, I'm shaking my head like anybody can hear me shaking my head. Yeah, I know. Okay, so do you want to get into the legal? Because the other thing that we have before we technically get into the legal responsibilities job site, which I spent some like real time doing some research on this, not because I didn't know, but I got the gist of it. And I thought, if I'm going to be recorded talking about this, I want to have it a little accurate. Okay, <laughs> you know, that works. I don't want to do it from the seat of my pants. But there's a role that job site visits have that go beyond fulfillment and job growth and knowledge growth. It's things like processing pay applications. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to go to a job site to understand what's been done and is it acceptable and should you pay the contractor for doing that scope of work? Yeah. I mean, there's reasons. There's also reasons that determine frequency. Like this is a, maybe not a great example, but, or maybe it's the best ever. I don't know. It's the idea that it's not reasonable for the Mason to build an entire brick wall and mortar the whole shebang. And I show up and go, well, that's the wrong mortar color, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't want that mortar color. Maybe you should come out like at the beginning and we solve that problem. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know the easy answer you go, well, there's a mock-up wall. It's already been approved. Mm -hmm. There's not always mock-up walls, but just, you know, whatever. It's unreasonable for you to say, I'll evaluate the quality of the work when all the work is done. 
Yeah, when it's 100% complete, then I'll say, oh, uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. You know, it might be, I can say, I drew it this way and you didn't build it that way. So it doesn't matter when I check it. Your job is to do it the way that I drew it, which speaks back to the very beginning. <laughs> the contractors <laughs> I work with were so good. They protected us from doing boneheaded things sometimes. And you'd say, this is what I want. And they're like, okay, we can do that, but we're not going to do it the way that you're telling us. We're going to do it like this, because this is how it really works. This is how we're really going to do it. And that was back in the day when I was detailing a lot of cabinets hmm. and I would detail cabinets in a way. And they're like, you know, that's not how that cabinet's going to get built. They're going to build this part. And then they're going to build that and set it on top of that. Like it's not one giant cabinet. There's like a bottom and a top. Yeah. One gets put on top of the other. So that means there's going to be a seam right here. And the practicality of how do I get it? It's huge. They're building it in a shop and they're going to bring out pieces. Mm -hmm. So understanding how it gets brought out in pieces so you can design how to cover those joints up if you want them covered up yeah. or express them. Understanding that will impact your design process. So going to the job site to make sure that the work is progressing the way that it's supposed to, that they're doing things the way that you wanted them to do it before they've completed it. Because I do think there's some levels of what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. And it's related to time. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's get into the last chunk of today's conversation, which is the legal responsibilities that take place on a job site. Legal liabilities, the fun stuff. Yeah, <laughs> which a lot of times legalese is considered evaluation of the work. Mm -hmm. So most of us know that the architect has a responsibility to satisfy him or herself that work is being performed in accordance with the construction documents, the drawings, you know, specifications. Drawings and specifications, yep. Yes. And the architect is not responsible to be intimately familiar with every nut and bolt of construction as the work is progressing. That's not a reasonable requirement for us during our job site visits. Often known as means and methods. Means and methods, yes. It is the respective trade contractors who are responsible to install the work correctly in the first place, which we've talked about, which is why I don't measure where walls go, because I don't want to own it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to own that. This is probably one of the most conflict-prone areas of the work, but it's not because the work is complex, but because there's money involved. So if something's wrong, everyone wants to go, well, okay, there's a reason it's wrong and somebody's at blame. And that blame normally is it's time, it's money, it's expense. It's, there's a lot of things to it. And everyone wants to kind of cover their butts a little bit a lot of times. Yeah. Nobody wants to have to spend the money, the time and the effort to repair or fix or deal with those issues. That's right. So whenever your pocketbook's affected, things change. People aren't as chummy anymore <laughs> when someone's got to pay for something out of pocket. So that kind of talks about inspection. We use the example of measuring where a wall was. But the architect is often responsible for making regular visits to the job site to familiarize themselves with the progress and quality of the work. It's usually, and this is more particular to me, it might apply to you in some regards, but it's usually not enough to review progress shots and try to get the picture of job progress through emails and <laughs> photos that are updated. Mm -hmm. However, you know, I did a project in San Marcos and we just beat on the contractor constantly to update the photos constantly. And we're like, 
take them in these five places always, always in these five places. So we have a basis of how it's going along. And we would tell them what we want photos of. Even though we went down there at least once a month or so, mm-hmm. you know, when it was appropriate. But part of the reason we had him take photos and whenever they did that, we always downloaded them so that they could never go back and delete <laughs> photos. Yeah. Right. We always made sure. You know, that's the part of the problem. Well, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole about who owns that kind of job site data when you use these automated platforms where everything is kind of warehoused. But anyway, so you have to go to the job site. That's all it is. That's what all that comment's about. You have to go to the job site. You can't do it through looking at photos. And it's also reasonable that the architect, you and me, we should be available on a periodic basis. And basically, we need to be available whenever there's questions or to resolve minor conflicts as quickly as possible. We can't expect a contractor to have to hunt around or wait unreasonable length of time to get answers. So that can speed up the process of going to job sites. Like I get a call, contractor says, I need to come out and take a look at something. It's very specific. I want you to look at this thing for me. It's not, hey, next time you're available or in a month when we have an OAC meeting, it's, hey, there's something going on right now and I need you to take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Right. That happens. Oh yeah. That happens a lot. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that we have, and I don't have any experience with this, which is the thing that, like when I was doing a little research on the internet, there's lots of things that talk about, if you see something wrong, you need to let the project superintendent, like whoever controls the job site, you need to let them know right away. Mm-hmm. You need to write it down, make it official, right? That, hey, I was on the job site at this time and I witnessed this thing's taking place. I alerted this person that it was taking place and da 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 You and I both know there are architects that do not want to go on job sites because of their exposure to liability by being on the job site. Yeah, the increased liability that they would have, yes. Yeah. I think sometimes they work their contracts, at least if they can, to omit that part. Because all of this is related to your contract. Most of my responsibilities and duties were all set out in my contracts with the client, which was mostly standard AIA contracts. But frequency and those kind of things often ended up in there as well. So it put an onerous legal implication to those things. We had talked earlier about like when we go on job sites, there's certain tasks that happen, you know, so like determining or confirming or verifying the amount of work in place so that we can pay the contractor appropriately when they send in their continuation sheet and ask for money by submitting a pay-up. That's something that we deal with. Mm -hmm. We also are there to confirm that an acceptable material quality or that a standard of craft has been achieved. Right, like your brick is level. I don't look at it and it doesn't look crooked. There's craftsmanship and it's acceptable and it's like usually spelled out in our specs how straight your brick's got to be. And so we're there to make sure that that kind of stuff is happening. And then it's a brick made out of clay and not, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A wad of paper towels or something. Yeah, some kind of plastic, but yeah. Which leads to the other thing, which is we're also there to reject work that does not conform to the contract. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the jobs that we have is to walk around and go, what's that? That's not right. Get rid of it. Do this. This is what it's supposed to be, which is its own rabbit hole conversation. But yeah, that's a whole podcast on its own right there. Yeah. But it's nothing but like horror stories and angry conversation. <laughs> <you know? laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah. Where we go on job sites to determine dates of substantial and final completion. That's something else that we, mm-hmm. we go on job sites for. And we go on job sites to issue stop work orders, which I personally have never had to do. So there's the things that we're supposed to do. We're on the job site. And when we're there, we're exposed. I mean, I don't want to repeat the story because I won't get it exactly right. And I don't want to get myself in trouble for getting something mostly right. 
But we both know of a guy who got sued because balcony on a project of his fell off and he got crucified for it. And it changed construction law in Texas because (laughs) they didn't build it the way he drew it. And because it said that he included site visits, he was sued for them not building it the way it was supposed to be built. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I can't be out there every single day. Right. And I was there on this day. And then I was here on this day. There were four days in between. And during that time, they attached this balcony, just like driving some nails into it rather than like bolting it and sending it. Like they weren't even close to what he did. And he still lost. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was a big deal. Yeah. And you're like, it's unreasonable. That is an unreasonable level of confirming that what was supposed to have been done was actually done. Yeah. So that's the exposure. Because what they got him for was, well, your contract did say that you were going to do job construction observation and you're going to watch it. And he's like, it doesn't say I'm going to watch it every moment of every day. All day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things where it's so, I mean, the law is on the the side of not us, I guess, what you think, because it's unfortunate. Well, at least here in Texas, for sure. So I wrote down this paragraph and, and I'll read it. We can cut it off. It doesn't make sense. But this is the thing that I got it from a law journal white paper. And it talks about the architect's exposure, their liability on a job site. It says things like, despite the attempts to protect the architect from liability through the use of protective language, problems may arise. This is the most legalese ever because they use the word alleged a lot (laughs) in this, Uh, but it's like, nice. problems may arise from the presence of the architect on the construction site. When construction defects arise for which the architect is alleged to have responsibility, The question of whether an architect has failed to act in accordance with contractual or common law standards of professional care is one of fact. So that's really what they're saying. If we evaluate, did you do what you were supposed to have done? Is what you did in accordance to what is customary and normal? Yep. Not Herculean and above and beyond, right? Yeah, there's this phrase called the professional standard of care or the standard of professional care, right? I think in every lawsuit that I've ever heard of or had to deal with, that's always the language. Standard of care. Standard of care. Yeah. And they have to show that you fell below that standard of care of what is typical and customary and Mm -hmm. within reasonable boundaries. Mm -hmm. But that's also where they always hang it on, too. That's what they're going to prove. They're not going to prove that you did something wrong, you designed something wrong or whatever. They're going to prove that you didn't meet the standard of care. And it's because it's such an open-ended thing and they can make the argument. doesn't mean that they're going to win, but that's going to be their argument to make. That's what they're going to try. Yeah. Because the thing is, you could draw it correctly. You could detail it exactly the way it's supposed to be. The contractor not build it that way. And then you get dinged when it fails because you weren't there to tell him he didn't do what you told him to do before. Exactly. Right? I I mean. And what he said he was going to do and what he told everyone he was going to do and bid the project to tell everybody he was going to do. And yes. And sometimes even what he told everybody that they did do, like we did it Mm -hmm. and then they didn't do it and something happens and they're like, well, you didn't catch me. So it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Right. Because yeah, there's some things about it that aren't great. And you going on the job site to a certain extent opens you up to that. But in my mind, Not going also opens me up to that same stuff. Yeah. So I don't ever take the opinion that going on the job site is worse than actually going. Than not going at all. Yes. At least if you're there, you can pay attention to some of the things and hopefully 
stop some of that stuff or identify it if it happens or whatever. Because if you're not there and it happens, you're still going to be liable for it. Yeah. I mean, that was always my opinion is err on the side of being there and showing up and hopefully you can keep that stuff from happening or make sure that there's a relationship that you're building with the construction team and the client. Like you talked about earlier, right? We're all trying to make sure everything happens together. Yeah. And maybe that just the fact of that will keep you from ending up in court, maybe unless people die and then it's going to happen anyway. But (laughs) well, on that uplifting note, (laughs) let's bring architects on the job site to a close. Sort of. Mm. We still have this episode's Would You Rather question. And today's question could be an easy or obvious answer for some people. And I feel 100% confident (laughs) that I know Andrew's response to this question. Yeah. Yeah. If I could know more than 100%, like if 1,000% was a thing, I would know it 1,000%. And you know that I know this. Yeah, it's going to be a quick answer. This is easy. Yes. And then I'm going to tell you why you're wrong afterwards. Oh, all right. I'm ready to see that. Now, you'll you'll never change your mind on this, so this is an easy one. Okay, so here it is. The ridiculously predictable would you rather question for today's episode <laughs> is, would you rather eat pizza for the rest of your life or a burger? <laughs> Andrew's yeah. going to say burger, done. It was just an obvious thing. It's burgers, 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 all the time, hamburgers. Yes. Yeah. And as long as they're cheeseburgers, I guess. Although my only thing would be, Actually, no, it wouldn't matter. I was going to say, if it was the exact same burger over and over and over, that's still fine. That's better than the exact same pizza over and over and over and over. Yeah. Because in your mind, you're like, well, a bad burger is still better than a bad pizza. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which, for that's sure. crazy talk. No, it's not. It's That's for sure. Burgers all the way. Would you eat a cold burger, a cold burger before cold pizza? Mm, no. <laughs> I would not. You'd eat cold pizza. But I'd definitely eat cold pizza first. Yeah, that's true. Yes. That's why pizza is the right answer here. Uh, no. Because it's superior at all temperatures. <sighs> no, because room temperature pizza is the pits. That is gross. No, it's still good. No, that's not good. It's worse. I still eat that. I either want it to be cold or hot. But you're right. A burger needs to be hot all the time. Yeah. So burgers, that's your go-to. I've never met a person in my life who loves burgers like Andrew loves <laughs> yeah. burgers. I don't know if it's still true or if you went and did some manicuring of your Instagram account, but like 80% of it's pictures of burgers. <laughs> no, I just, I haven't been out. And they're all, and they're all pictures like, you're going to die. <laughs> you look at that photo, you're like, you eat that, you're going to die this afternoon. Yeah, my heart actually stops. A major infarction is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not just like regular burgers. Yeah, I know. They're like morning burgers that have like eight fried eggs and <laughs> 37 pieces of bacon. And a half gallon of blue cheese. And Ooh. I mean, yeah, yeah, they're crazy burgers. Yeah. I go for the, the all out when it comes to burgers. This is true. But I haven't been able to do it that much because of the pandemic. So it's killing you, isn't it? I don't necessarily make burgers like that at home for sure. So yeah, it's been a while since I had a good one. The right answer is pizza for sure. There's no question. <sighs> really? I just don't understand. I like pizza. There you go. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I mean, I like pizza too, but. Go ahead. Explain to me why, though. Okay. So first off, there's the standards. If we say, let's ignore the weird for a minute, okay? If you go, what are the standard pizzas? Like, everybody's got that pizza. Like, they got a cheese pizza. They got a pepperoni pizza. You got a sausage pizza. You might have, like, a supreme pizza. The meat lover's pizza, right? There's, like, Mm -hmm. these are the hits. Everybody's got the hits, right? They're all good, right? Mm -hmm. When you get past, like, a regular burger... The wheels fall off quick. Like they get too weird, too fast with too much weird stuff on it. And I go, what is this? This is like a salad with a burger (laughs) patty on it. 
and I've got like goat cheese and pear slices and arugula on top of a portobello mushroom that's sitting on top of my perfectly cooked. I go, what is, scrape all that off. That's not a burger. That's just a burger patty on top of this bowl of salad. That's. (laughs) My assumption, right, is that I get to pick. I mean, so if I want to eat a regular cheeseburger every day, that's what I would eat. That's the rest of my life. Or if I wanted to mix it up. To me, that's the real point of this. Would you rather is, is it the same thing over and over and over? Or do I get, as long as it's a hamburger, as long as it's a burger of some sort, then I'm good. And as long as it's a pizza of some sort, then I'm good. Well, we've talked about how everybody would kill themselves if they could only eat the same thing forever, right? (laughs) Yes. So I'm assuming that there's some variety. So if you order it off of a burger menu, whatever weirdness it is, that you're good to go. Mm -hmm. As opposed to a pizza. But the pizza's the same way. Pizza gets off the rails pretty quickly. I think nowadays, even more, there's gourmet weird pizzas with portobello mushrooms and pear slices and blue cheese (laughs) on a, you know... (laughs) Hand-tossed, garlic-infused... White sauce. Crust or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's just the same thing. I don't eat any of that stuff. I don't eat any of that stuff. Eh, your, your argument, it doesn't count. Your best argument is that one is cold. Yeah. That's a good argument. <laughs> you know what? The truth is, is that's fine. You like burgers. I know you do. I like burgers. The truth is, if I think I could, I'd survive longer eating nothing but pizza then you would survive eating the, your burger. Well, this is probably true. Yes. If life expectancy has to factor into it, then yes. <laughs> pizza is probably the better choice. Yeah. We do eat pizza a lot when I come up and see you, though. Well, normally because we're working. I will admit that. We go to that pizza place a lot. What pizza place? We Oh, we've been like twice. Out of the, I don't know, five meals that I've eaten. <laughs> That's quite a bit. <laughs> we eat pho. We probably had pho more than we've had pizza. Well, yeah, but that's usually lunchtime stuff. But we've never gone for a burger. No. We've never, I don't think we've ever gone for a burger. No. Because there's not really any good burger places around me. Barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a very interesting conversation for everybody. <laughs> I'm starving now, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there you go. Another amazing show completed. Thank you for being with us today for episode 71, Architects on the Job Site. We would like to thank our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listing app and hit that subscribe button so you can get piping hot new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star Architect Swinging Hammers rating. Be sure to visit the original life of an architect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this wonderful episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>